Hi, and welcome to Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. I'm David McGuffin. Take in a deep breath of salt sea air. We're back on the Bay of Fundy in Atlantic Canada. This is our second episode with the Students on Ice Ocean Conservation Expedition. And it's an episode about a phoenix-like revival. Today, we're taking you on a zodiac. Bouncing across the waves on a wet and windy late autumn day, heading into the mouth of one of the two rivers in Fundy National Park in New Brunswick. This is the Point Wolf River. We'll hit the trail up here. These rivers are central to our story today. It is the remarkable tale of a first-of-its-kind effort to revive the Fundy salmon, a unique Atlantic salmon subspecies that was driven to near extinction by habitat destruction here in the inner bay of Fundy. And we'll be putting hundreds of salmon into the river. That's John Robinson. Both his full-time job with Parks Canada and his graduate work at the University of New Brunswick focus on the revival of the endangered Fundy salmon. So we are currently on the Point Wolf Beach, kind of in the Point Wolf estuary, and we're looking up towards the Point Wolf Bridge. Can't quite see quite around the corner to it, but uh, we were up there this morning with the zodiacs underneath and uh, looking all around the bridge, seeing all the, the details and where the old dam used to be in there and the remnants from it still. Yeah, and this uh, is where you do a lot of your work, right? Yes, yeah, so it's a cold, blustery day here. It's raining down on us, and it's, uh, but it's kind of nice to show that rain or shine, we're, we're out here working in this, and it's, right. it's still a beautiful spot. In a couple of weeks' time, you're going to be up here doing something pretty specific, right up by that bridge. What's that going to be? Yeah, so it was really cool. As we were underneath that bridge, we could show that uh, in two weeks' time, we'll be releasing uh, hundreds of adult Atlantic salmon uh, into the Point Wolf River uh, through basically a, a giant water slide. So we tie it up alongside the bridge, bring the fish back from Grandma Nan or the Mactaquac Biodiversity Facility, and slide them down into the river that way. Interesting. And you you mentioned an interesting thing earlier was uh, these fish are coming from Grand Manan and you've, you've discovered that there's a benefit to keeping them out in the bay, isn't there, when you after you've scooped them up in the spring? Yeah, so this way, so we're raising these fish on the world's first wild salmon marine conservation farm. And this way, the salmon out there are experiencing all the marine pressures that they typically would out in the bay in their natural environment. But we're doing it in kind of an exposed captor, a captive scenario. And this way they can experience all that, but we're still able to monitor them, look after them, uh, get them through this phase of when we'd normally see this mortality out at sea, and then put them back in the river, experiencing that marine environment. Nice, and it, it really adds a benefit to how their survival rates and everything. Yeah, yeah, so as we've seen, uh, our return rates year after year are increasing. And uh, last year alone, 114 returns uh, to the park, being our high, highest in 30-some years. Uh, so we're seeing great benefit from that, and hopefully we can continue building on that momentum. Great. Just maybe we should walk back. Zodiacs might leave without us. <laughs> Miss we'll lunch. John and I resume our conversation in drier conditions on the Polar Prince icebreaker, leased for this expedition by Students on Ice. We're in what was once a helicopter hangar, from back when the Polar Prince was a Coast Guard vessel called the Sir Humphrey Gilbert. So I'm uh, John Robinson. I'm a resource management technician in Fundy National Park, uh, specifically working on the Atlantic Salmon Recovery Program there. Yeah, and which is fascinating. Um, we were talking about that a bit earlier, but if you could tell us more about what, what that is. And... 
Yeah, I'll try get uh, into the nitty gritty as we I'll, go. I'll along. try repeating a, a little bit what I can remember of it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, way back when, Inner Bay was a very thriving place for salmon. There's upwards of forty thousand in the Inner Bay at one time. Wow. Um, How far back would that be? This would be uh, '60s and later, maybe we'll oh, say. Oh, as recent as that. Yeah, yeah. So up until even earlier than that at times, but till then maybe mm-hmm. um it was really i started to notice the decline here through kind of late 80s into the 90s yeah uh 1990 is when the recreational fishery um of the inner bay closed and in around 2000 is when they estimated there was only about 200 uh inner bay of fundy atlantic salmon left in the entire inner bay of fundy wow that's um, a shocking decline. yes yeah so uh crazy decline at, at that rate so I believe it was 2003 when they became uh, listed um, on the Sarah, so uh, species at risk. Right. Uh, so they were pr- protected under that now for quite some time. Um, and even so just before that, I guess I'll go back in 1998 is when we started the live gene bank program at the Mactaquack hatchery uh, up near Fredericton. Okay. Uh, so this was taking the last remnant genes of our population and taking them there. Uh, to work on building that genetic diversity back up. Uh, okay. Trying to rescue the species, basically. Right. Let's talk about that. So 1998 is when, okay, we're, there's a, con- a concerted belief that we need to try and save this yep. species. Yeah, so that's when started to really notice something. Estimate came out of about 200 left in the inner bay at that time. Yeah. Um, Can we talk then, about why? Like, what were the... Yeah, yeah. Um, so... We knew that, I guess, way back when, what really caused that decline of 40,000 down uh, was the much of the logging industry at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so across a lot of Inner Bay of Fundy rivers, uh, there's a lot of logging industry, so dams uh, that blocking passage. Like, uh, logged, like the logs are damming up the rivers? or uh, no? So they had full dams of the mills, the mills oh, themselves. I yeah, see. yeah. So right. the logs would come down the rivers, and yeah, so it's the mills themselves. Um, some of the sawdust remnants would smother nests that were there at the time. Uh, so logging was uh, a big part of the history in Fundy, especially that came down. Like Point Wolf used to be a big uh, logging industry village. Right. Um, so that's what caused a lot of the issues. And even that dam wasn't removed back until the mid 80s right. at, at that time. So it stayed in place for quite some time, uh, interrupting that passage. Um, and of course, being a very sensitive species, it's it was another thing we kind of say is that death by thousand cuts. So yeah. we have this big thing in the marine environment that we don't exactly know what's happening out here yet. Yeah. So we're seeing salmon go out and then not come back. Okay. Uh, and I should also mention why this species is a little different than most salmon species. They They don't do the long migration up to the Labrador Sea into Greenland that all other uh, species of Atlantic salmon do. Mm-hmm. But ours just actually migrate within the Bay of Fundy, come out to the Gulf of Maine, and that's it. Oh, wow. Often returning after only one winter at sea. So it's, it's, is it considered a subspecies of the Atlantic yep, salmon? Yep. Then? So yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's a different subspecies, uh, genetically different than, yeah, than the rest. Yeah, so it's, uh, there's several different popu- regional populations um, on the eastern part of Canada. But So ours is just the inner Bay of Fundy specifically. And you say when they're going out but not coming back, but are you not finding mass die-offs or anything like that? Or no, no, no yeah. there's no evidence exactly of what's happening. Um, 
And of course, there's no uh, commercial fishery happening here where sometimes you would see other species uh, up Greenland where you have the international fisheries that may intercept yeah. some, but here there's there's no evidence of that. Right, um, not showing up in nets. Not no, oh, no. Amazing. So it's a, a, yeah, a bit of a phenomenon of what's, what's happening it's out like here. It's a real mystery. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So our first stage, I'll say more of the, the program was uh, doing what we could in the park boundaries, looking in fresh water. Right. Um, so we started back then with uh, juvenile introduction. So we took, so coming from the Mactaquac hatchery, we had juveniles that were represented evenly across the genetic diversity mm-hmm. uh, from the group there. We'd put them into the rivers as juveniles, hoping to see that increase coming out. And although it did increase uh, the juvenile population, we didn't necessarily see that impact in the returns that we had coming back. So at, as adults. right. Um, so research then uh, by Parks Canada and partners led to show that by putting the earlier exposure juveniles can actually be in their wild environment, yeah. the fitter they'll actually turn up to be as adults. Okay. So that's how we targeted our program then. Uh, so starting in 2015 is when we really started that this idea of putting adults in the river, allowing them to spawn naturally, put the juveniles in by themselves naturally. And then a uh, side benefit of that, we actually see survival of adults coming back more. Okay. Uh, so so you're, you're not losing all of them as you were? Is that the... No, yeah. no. So, uh, so what we kind of saw with that is, I guess I'll start on the juvenile side, that growing uh, naturally in the river, uh, that led them to a fitter life growing up to what we call smolt, be like your teenager stage mm-hmm. of getting ready to migrate out to sea. Uh, hopefully being fitter to come back as an adult. Um, But then through this, we saw that as so we'd intercept uh, a small portion of the juveniles heading out to sea, and we'd take them to, we started the world's first wild salmon marine conservation farm on the island of Graham and Ann. Oh, interesting. Um, So this phase of when smolts head out to the sea, and then there's that marine phase that we don't see them coming back. We intercept them through that, take them there, help push them past. So they'll be on site for maybe 18 months to do that full maturity phase. So so one winter out there and then come back as adults, put them back in the river that way. Yeah. And then see that, that benefit from there. Yeah. And they're spawning. Yep. Then there's, they're spawning and now we're seeing uh, a a better percentage of them um, heading out to sea and, doing something to survive out there yeah. and then making their way back in to spawn a second time. So they do come back. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 yeah very promising to, to see those results. Yeah. No. And cause you hear so many negative things about the salmon fisheries in Canada mm-hmm. generally, it's nice to hear that this may be heading in the right direction. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely hoping, uh, we can get kind of build on this momentum. And, yeah. uh, we also have partners at, uh, uh, Fort Folly first nations, that yeah. run a, a parallel program to that yeah. run exact the same and they're seeing promising results as well. So, so on the same rivers and yeah, so they're running their program on the Petakodiak river, mm-hmm. um, which was a, a very important river to the inner bay. It was thought that up to 25% of the whole inner bay of Fundy population actually came from that river alone. Oh, wow. It's very, very significant. Um, and then we have 
in Funny National Park, uh, the Upper Salmon River and Point Wolf River okay. um, that we're supporting there. So you're down to 200. Do you know what you're at now? Or um, so that's to be determined. So we would be of the Inner Bay Rivers. Those are the ones that we're doing work on. So it's hard to tell exactly what's happening mm-hmm. on the other scale. Um, so that we need to determine more of where these numbers are going. Right. Um, so coming up here, we're going to look at doing a, a genetic check-in to see how our genetic diversity has been over time. Um, but uh, adult-wise, like we've uh, we've seen good momentum with the program. Last year in 2021, we had uh, 114 returns come back wow. to both the Upper Salmon and Point Wolf River, um, which is the highest total we've had in 30 years. Wow! So yeah, very positive results from that. Um, and that's just in our, our couple rivers in Fundy. But uh, the 200 collectively uh, back in the day was of the entire bay itself. So, and that was, that's consumed of about 40 some rivers total. Um, so we have the Upper Sand Point Wolf on Fundy side and then the Petakodiak River operated by Fort Folly's First Nations. Uh, be three targeted ones and then Big Salmon River that uh, DFO would work on uh, just adjacent to the park. But then we have so many of these other rivers that have no no real known work happening to them. Right. And it's, uh, I think, incredibly important to start that next phase of to help feed an entire regional population of the inner bay. We can't just have a few rivers trying to feed that and support right. that. We need to get yeah. back to that. Yeah, we need a, a lot more collective work happening around the inner bay to help, right. help, help feed that. Yeah. Is it possible yeah. there are salmon in those other rivers there, there are exactly yeah, yeah. so it, it is known back um uh, like a small percentage of the salmon are, are thought to stray um and that is how some of these other rivers help get colonized or help um, build that genetic diversity a little bit back in the day is they would stray off a river occasionally mm-hmm. uh, so it's very well possible that even from our own program you may see the odd one go in an adjacent river say uh, goose river which would be um another river on the boundary of the park and that could help feed a bit of that next generation supplying there but um overall there's there's just uh not much other work being done in in those other rivers yeah, so. so it's an area to expand yeah at yeah some it would point. be yeah, yeah. And, and to do kind of a collective check-in to see um is there any remnants of populations still there uh is there any juveniles that are, are still in those rivers um be something to, to check in very soon all right well yeah. anyone out there who can make that happen let's, let's make that happen <laughs> nice and uh so what's i mean what does your job entail like what what, what do you what's john doing on a day-to-day john basis? Uh, you never know where you'll, where you'll find john on day to day um it's it's very seasonal um i'm lucky that uh most of my day gets to spend be spent outside yeah. on, on the river yeah uh, so if it's around uh say may june time usually we'll, we run uh, a smolt wheel which is just a uh, a type of trap that collects uh out migrating smolts yeah uh so usually so we'll be operating that every day for those yeah. through those couple months while the the smolts are migrating uh, come summertime, we're electrofishing, um, which is basically just a backpack, and it puts a small uh, electric shock in the water yeah. that'll temporarily stun a juvenile fish for you yeah. to, to collect it. Yeah. So we do uh, density monitoring uh, mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And then uh, 
yeah, come the fall, we're ramping up operations to get ready to put these adults back in the river. Right. Um, and we're, we're doing our assessments then as well, I, I should say, to determine um, how many adults have returned at this time. So this is through uh, each salmon in the program that's released gets implanted with a small uh, pit tag. Yeah. And then we have these receivers at the mouths of each river. And as the salmon returns and passes up through, it'll detect that salmon. So we can see exactly who that individual is, when they came in, go and look back all through its family history to determine, is there something that we're noticing a trend of more adult salmon that came from this origin or that were released this way, are they more successful than others? So we can start, try to tailor our uh, recovery program a little bit through uh, the results we're seeing from that. Um, So yes, that eats up a a lot of the time uh, through the year and then into the fall, as well as we do uh, snorkel surveys. So actually snorkeling down through the river, uh, looking at these salmon, observing them through the pools, doing our counts. Wow. Um, Yeah, hard to beat a a job like that. Yeah, definitely. Sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, very, very interesting. I'm intrigued by the idea that back in 98, you were harvesting the genes or I guess uh, banking those genes and Mm. I'm just wondering how important that why that was important yeah so um, there is I believe it's 10 distinct rivers around the inner bay that were found to have kind of high ancestry genes so being very important very distinct lineage Mm -hmm. and uh, the Point Wolf River was actually distinguished as one of those yeah Uh, so it was very important for us not to lose that lineage especially since that is one of our our main rivers within the park right um so the whole goal of this was to preserve that remnant gene and make sure we don't mix it with anything else within the area so it was very important to to protect that yeah yeah and i guess it's it's a situation too where you you couldn't take an atlantic salmon from the miramichi say no and introduce it and and have the same results no no we have a a completely different uh, genetic subspecies here so it's yeah, very important. When we saw that that dramatic decline, that this was the last we had of this species, mm-hmm. and yeah, we had to do what we could to uh, to preserve the preserve those genes and uh, try to recover them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're hopeful. Is that a right word? Hopeful. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, hopeful, optimistic, and I think really like we're we're pretty proud of of foundation we've laid down with this. Yeah. Um, definitely, we uh, we have. Uh, some room to go yeah. and uh, to get where to where we need to be. What's but the next benchmark of improvement that you're sort of looking for? That's the uh, that's the big question. I think um, uh, to me, anyways, I we're really wondering these adults that are heading out. Um, what can we target with them? Like yeah. we need to answer more questions of where they are in the bay, where are they spending their winter, uh, those ones that are surviving. How are they doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the next phase that maybe we, we target in on. Um, that's kind of what led us on this trip with uh, yeah. students on ice as well. Talk about uh, different people involved in, in the marine world and see is that uh, it might be something we need to look at next year. Right, right. I mean, you mentioned yeah. you have First Nations partners and are, are you working with other like the D- Department of Fisheries and Oceans? Or? Yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I should mention there's many, many partners involved in this. Uh, so uh, Department of Fisheries Notions, they uh, run the Mactaquac Biodiversity Facility where the hatchery mm-hmm. is, um, Fort Folly First Nations, Fort Folly Habitat Recovery, uh, great partners on this program. Um, 
then we have uh, University of New Brunswick. They run a lot of the academia involved mm-hmm. in this project to do the research. Uh, Cook's Aquaculture is a big industry partner on running the uh, marine conservation farm. Uh, so the they Graham are actually the ones. The, yes, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was running uh, Dark Harbor, Graham and Ann, and they are actually the feet on the ground, the ones who run the site there. Yeah. And they have the, the fish rearing knowledge uh, around here. So they're incredible partners. We would not be able to raise fish um, at the capacity and numbers that they're able to do so efficiently. Um, yeah. So it's, it's great having a partner like that aboard as well. I remember reading recent, not long ago about uh, the importance of like a wolf population in, a, in, a, in an environment and just how it actually having wolves improves the, the overall health of the environment. And I'm wondering if there's a similar sort of linkage with salmon. Yes, yeah. It's actually through the productivity side. So marine derived nutrients, which is uh, a lot of the studies we're, we're going towards now as well. So when salmon return to the rivers, they bring back marine derived nutrients with the mm-hmm. nutrients from the ocean. And this is so important for any ecosystem productivity in a river. Uh, so when they bring back these nutrients, helps feed the plants in the river, that helps feed the invertebrates in the river, that helps feed the fish in the river. So it's just this building yeah. onto this. And that's, I think, sometimes what takes this program so long is it's not just putting fish back in the river and expecting more and more fish to come back, but you actually have to build up these ecosystem processes that were non-existent for for decades when yeah. these salmon pretty much went uh, extirpated. Wow. Um, so it's it is a, a numbers game in that way on that side that we really need to ramp up that productivity, uh, have more salmon coming back, feeding uh, the river itself, the ecosystem, yeah. and then having that provide for the salmon as well. It's huh. amazing. And your First Nations partners, what have you learned working with them? With them, it's collaboration's key. I mean, for them, they're very knowledgeable in their world as well. And yeah. I think for us, we have to think a little bit about the uh, cultural importance that salmon has had as well. Sure, so, yeah. and that's from from that side, um, that's what I love about working with parks as well is it's as much we're invested in the science side as we are the cultural resource side. Right. And I think for them to bring that knowledge to the table is, is just as important as any of it that we've learned. Yeah. Um, all across this projects. And how is, I mean, we're just a couple of days in on this, this voyage in particular, but with students on ice on the, on the Polar Prince, what's, what's it been like for you and what, what are you taking away from this so far? It's for me, it's been the, the networking and connections you make here. So as, as I mentioned, like we, the main work that we're able to do with parks is in the freshwater environment. So to be on an expedition like this, students on ice in a lot of the com- conversations is around ocean conservation uh it's kind of getting into a new world for us but something we're seeing that this is kind of where our project is going again salmon being anadromous starting their life in fresh water then going to the marine environment um they adapt to that and i think that might be something that our program will get to as well so again having the marine uh, conservation farm and there's lots of research to be done there to see what are we seeing exactly on the farm there that how salmon are adapting in the marine environment. Uh, we're currently getting into more of a, a feeding regime study as well to determine how can you feed wild salmon to act more like wild salmon and look like more like wild salmon mm-hmm. rather than putting them on that um, just standard aquaculture diet, which obviously wouldn't be suitable for right. a purpose of ours. Um, so I think 
that's the next phase that uh, be very interesting to look at. Interesting. And yeah. can you just tell me what the ocean means to you? The ocean means to me. The ocean means so much. Um, I think, and I'll go back to what this trip has brought is the connections. And I think this trip and what the ocean means is all of us from different backgrounds, uh, different career paths, all kind of coming together, whether it's artists, musicians, um, videographers, photographers, podcasters, um, science, academia, indigenous, we're all coming together talking about something similar. And I think this is just such a rare opportunity to be able to be all on the same ship yeah. and have these discussions every day, see each other's worlds and learn from that. Well, John, thank you so much. Oh, thank on. you for having me, David. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. And it was great of you to listen. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this. Be sure to check back in for our next episode aboard the Polar Prince in two weeks' time. And check out previous episodes focusing on the oceans on Explore, including with pioneering UBC marine biologist Daniel Pauly and award-winning science writer and author Alana Mitchell. As ever, please remember to rate and review us where you listen. It helps people to find these interviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, when we'll explore again, I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just been a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people We have Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade, consisting of a number of yacht boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, it means that Indian oral history is very strong. Yeah, we flew over every inch of the country that it could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160.